Hi, this is Mark. I'm one of the senior pastors from Hope Church Malmesbury. I want to personally thank you for downloading or listening online to this sermon cast from Hope Church. We, we share these messages because they really spoke to us. We value their, their content and uh, the anointing that's upon them. And I pray that they bring a fresh revelation of God's love for you today. And if you're able to support the work of Hope Church and the cost of sharing these messages online, then you can go to our website, www.thehope.church give and follow the instructions on that page. And if you're every mum's on a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now, let's join today's message. Well, I'm delighted to introduce uh, Steve, who's going to bring uh, today's word. We're continuing our slow walk through the book of Luke and Acts, where this is episode 37. Oh, 37. Wow. Wow. But to be honest, I can go away now because everything that's just been said there is what God has given me to say today. So thanks very much. Excellent. Always the efficient engineer. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for Steve, Lord God, uh, and for Michelle. The anointing that's on them, Lord God, um, to, to serve you, Lord God, to minister to your body, Lord God, and to build up the church. Father, I pray that you uh, give Steve a fresh anointing right now, Lord God, to share with us what is on your heart. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. So this is an M&S morning for those. Absolutely, here we are. So good morning to all in the hall. And to the team on the screen, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Very Truman Show, isn't it, that? Do we know the Truman Show? Yep. So those that don't, it's the story of a man called Truman who had no idea he was the star of a live reality show and he had no idea he was adopted into that show either. Now the show was created for entertainment, that's all it was created for and in the end, spoiler alert for those that haven't seen this movie, he understands and realises thanks to some really good friends that the world he's in is not the real world and it ends as he steps out of the movie studio, the world he knew into the world that he didn't know, a new world, and he cries out with his usual catchphrase, good morning, and if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Today, we're going to be looking at Luke 6, verses 20 to 23, and the title of today's sermon is The Beatitudes, The Great Reversal. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that we can meet together in your name. May my words be your words. And may our hearts and our minds be open to receive and act upon the message you are giving today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So where do we begin? Firstly, all the Bible references from today are from the ESV. And today's message is based upon the ESV Study Bible, the Life Application Study Bible, and Nikki Gumbel's Challenging Lifestyle. Watch that if you haven't, because it's amazing. And his Bible in a Year service uh, series, which is just incredible. So, and also a big thank you to the M, the Michelle. She's been fantastic. Listening to me curse and everything else, trying to put this together. So, let's begin with a story. Mark starts with a joke, I shall begin with a story. 
So, the Reverend George Matheson, who was born in uh, 1842, he was born in Glasgow. He was the eldest son of eight children. He only had partial vision as a boy, but by the age of 20, he was blind. When his fiancée learnt about this, and there was nothing the doctors could do, she walked away and told him she couldn't live with a blind person. He never married. He was helped by a devoted sister throughout his ministry. She learnt Greek, Latin and Hebrew to help him through his studies. Despite his blindness, Matheson had a brilliant career at the Glasgow Academy, Glasgow University and the Church of Scotland Seminary. When he was 40 years old, something bittersweet happened. His sister married. Not only did this mean he lost her companionship, but it also brought a fresh reminder of his own heartbreak. In the midst of this intense sadness on the eve of his sister's marriage, he wrote one of the most popular and best loved hymns in the Christian church, O love that wilt not let me go. He completed the whole work in just five minutes. He never edited it or corrected it or retouched it. This came, he wrote, like a dayspring from on high. O joy that seeketh me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I chase the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not in vain that morn shall tearless be. Troubles are part of life. Troubles are part of life. That's for us all. Jesus faced trouble, and so did his apostles, his disciples, and all the people of God. However, as Matheson's hymn beautifully articulates, troubles do not have the final word. When we become Christians, we are called to step out of our old ways and into a lifestyle that is opposite to what the world tells us is normal. Jesus knows his people, and today's passage in scripture, we will read how he encourages his disciples, those who are called and have chosen to follow him, with a message that is completely contrary to the secular world, in order to to prepare them for what was and is to come. Life is not going to be easy just because we're Christians. But when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are blessed. It might not feel like it, but we are. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 tells us, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Anybody here weak? Please open up your Bibles or your devices to look at Luke 6, verses 20 to 23. As a matter of interest, this is the second time Luke records a sermon by Jesus. His first was in Luke 4, verse 16 to 30. So, the Beatitudes. And he lifted his eyes to his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn you in your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, 
and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. A bit of context. This message from Jesus to his believers. So he delivers a series of statements that turn the crowd's perceptions around and upside down. In just a few sentences, Jesus affirms that things in this world are not always what they seem, but certainly they are not what they will be one day. These short statements summarize the teachings of Jesus and the essence of the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, or the Sermon on the Plain. Nanny Pat. More on this later. So, while preparing for today's sermon, I found it most useful to make reference to Matthew 5 onwards and his record of the Beatitudes. So what are the Beatitudes? They're called Beatitudes from the Latin beatus, which means blessed, happy. They have three parts. The first being the adjective, those English buffs out there, gurus, um, that is blessed. So an adjective, blessed. The second part is the identification of the blessed person or persons. So in this case, hungry, poor. And the third is the condition assuring blessedness, for you shall be satisfied. So all Beatitudes, whether that's Matthew or Luke, have these three parts. All the Beatitudes begin with blessed are, which is a current state, blessed are. This expression held a powerful meaning of divine joy and perfect happiness to the people of Jesus' time. In other words, Jesus was saying, divinely happy, which is more than a temporary or circumstantial feeling of happiness. This is a state of well-being in relationship with God that belongs to those who respond to Jesus' ministry. It is important to understand that the Beatitudes are not conditions for entering the kingdom of God. You're not to be poor to get into the kingdom of God. It's not a condition. Okay? But these are blessings pronounced on those who have already entered into uh, the kingdom. The main theme of the Beatitudes includes the woes. Spoiler alert for next week. The great reversal. So, today's scripture, like most, is subject to much theological debate. Question, is this the Sermon on the Mount, or is this the Sermon on the Plain? There are those that believe that this is Luke's recollection of the Sermon on the Mount, the same sermon that Matthew writes about in Matthew 5-7. to On the other hand, there are those that believe that this is a different sermon, the Sermon on the Plain. If this is an account of the same sermon by two different people, then it should not surprise us that the records are slightly different. Matthew and Luke are completely different people. They came from different backgrounds and different cultures. Matthew was a devout Jew who understood the Old Testament and absolutely understood that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecies. Whereas Luke was a Gentile, and the only Gentile to write in the New Testament. A scholar and a physician. Worlds apart, but both believers. If, on the other hand, the two accounts are of two separate sermons, then this shouldn't surprise us either. 
Jesus preached the same message twice that we know about, recorded by two different people. Nicky Gumbel asserts that the message was core to Jesus' teaching throughout his ministry because he knew the message needed to be heard over and over and over again by his people. There will be troubles, trust me. (laughs) And it's only recorded twice, but I'm sure he said it many, many times. Looking at the relationship between the two sermons, the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, there are similarities and differences. We just haven't got the time to jump into them all. Please look at the two of them. But just as a taster, you've got things like different terminology, sitting versus standing, mount versus plateau, climbed up, came down, blessed are the poor versus blessed are the poor in spirit. There's differences. But regardless of which side we fall on, one fact stands true. The message that Jesus, coming from Jesus, is constant, clear, and life-changing. As a Christian, it's going to be tough. The world we know has changed, but we are blessed. So what does Jesus say to his followers? The poor. Luke 6, verse 20. And he lifted his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. At face value, when studying Luke, it can read as though Jesus was making a blanket promise about salvation and blessing to those who are materially poor. Others view Jesus' statement as an insight into spiritual poverty, referencing Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In their view, Jesus was offering a great blessing to those who recognize their spiritual poverty before God. The poor in spirit are those who recognize they are in need of God's help. Since it's recorded that Jesus referenced both the poor and the poor in spirit, the implications of his words can be intertwined. Throughout his ministry on earth, Jesus met the practical needs of the poor, feeding, healing, and honoring them. Despite this emphasis, Jesus refused to place a higher priority on meeting the physical needs than on meeting the spiritual needs. Through his words and his actions, Jesus demonstrated a divine balance. Pay attention to those physical needs, but never forget the priority of the spiritual need. That's a balancing act for everybody. The poor are those who recognize they need God's help. In the Old Testament, the poor, the same Greek word protokos in my best Greek, frequently referred to the pious poor, those who looked to and depended upon God. So blessed are you who are poor can be interpreted to mean divinely happy are those of you who are devoted Christians and putting your trust in God. Verse 20 continues, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus' statement in Luke 4 verse 16 The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. This is a quotation from Isaiah 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This was a statement by Jesus 
and it has a strong spiritual dimension that good news would come to the poor who longed and waited for God. You, for yours, the poor followers of Jesus, is the kingdom of God. The hungry, Luke 6, verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. There are people who believe that this is a physical hunger, and some that believe that this is a hunger, that the hunger that Jesus is speaking about is the hunger for righteousness, which is referred to in Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. May I offer that hunger refers to those amongst Jesus and the disciples amongst Jesus who are not only physically hungry, but also hungry for God's help and presence. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and recognize that God is ultimately the source of spiritual food. God is our provider. Matthew 25, verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. Verse 21 continues, now for you shall be satisfied. This implies that we will be hungry in this life, but God will supply our physical needs with with his abundant presence in this life and the next. In a nation where riches were seen as a favor of God and God's favor upon his people, Jesus startled the people listening here by pronouncing blessing on the hungry, a reversal of thinking. Those weeping, Luke 6 verse 21 carries on. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. I don't feel like that all the time. I'm not sure about you. (laughs) It's worth looking at other words for weep, such as mourn and grief that can be found in the Bible. A useful way of looking at this is with reference to Matthew 5 verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. To mourn in this context is the spiritual, emotional, or financial loss resulting from sin. This feeling should lead to the mourning and a longing for God's forgiveness and healing. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 tells us, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So godly grief, a grief that comes from God, is characterized by repentance. In other words, remorse caused by straying away from God and the consequent resolve to reverse the situation and live for God. We want to live for God. Whereas on the other hand, worldly grief is a grief that comes from the world. A remorse brought about by losing the world's approval, which leads us to the resolve to gain that world's approval again. As Christians, our focus should not be on maintaining our relationship with the world. It should be on maintaining our relationship with God. Amen. 
another reversal. The now tells us that there will be tears, weeping, mourning and grief in this life. But when we follow Jesus, every tear will be wiped away. Revelation 21 verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. By wiping away every tear and eliminating death, mourning and pain, God will reverse the curse that entered the world through human sin. The final part of this statement is, for you shall laugh. Wow. Psalm 126, verses 1 and 2. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said amongst nations, the Lord has done great things. The psalm opens by remembering an event in the past in which God restored the fortunes of Zion. This great mercy, which, could they, which the people could hardly believe, filled the people with laughter and joy. This is true for us today. We only need to look at the mercy God has shown us. And by remembering that, this should fill us with gladness. Maybe some of us will laugh. Possibly not me. But we should. We should be grateful. Hate. This one absolutely blows me away. Luke 6 verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you when they exclude you, when they revile, despise you, and spurn, reject your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Really? Blessed? Throughout history, beginning with Cain's murder of Abel, which is Genesis 4, there have been those who oppose God's people. Just as Jesus experienced opposition and persecution throughout his life, his disciples should expect the same. Happy message, we're going to be persecuted. Happy, great. But we shouldn't go off track. God is using us and wants to use us. I must be honest with you, I am going to be honest. My natural reaction as Steve is not a feeling, a blessing in the middle of any situation where I find myself hated, excluded, despised or rejected. Whether it's being a Christian or not, I'm going to leave it to you what you think my reaction is. So, what should our reaction be to being persecuted in God's name? Luke 6 verse 23 tells us this. Rejoice in that day! And leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Oh, really? I don't know. I don't know about you, but this is mind-blowing. This is a reversal. The human condition is completely opposite to what we're being told here. Our response to persecution should be to understand that we are blessed and rejoice. We are under God's grace. And through any situation, we should show love to those doing these things to us. What a reversal of attitude. And maybe something for us all to work on and to think, really think about, really think about that one. 
and you know, show love to your enemy. That's another message. However, when we behave the way Jesus teaches us, during the tough times, our reward may not come on earth, but it will surely be ours in heaven. An example of such rejoicing can be found in Acts 5 verse 41. And this is where the apostles are arrested and freed. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. An really interesting point about this here is that the apostles left rejoicing because they were, you know, they, they suffered because uh, they were worthy of witnessing for Jesus. However, they resumed again afterwards, regardless of the Sanhedrin's threat, don't. And surprisingly enough, the church grew after that. So when we are being persecuted, feel blessed, accept God's grace, show love and rejoice because God is working his plans through us. That's a message to me. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. He's working his plans through us, through all situations. And clearly, these are all natural reactions for us humans, yeah? I don't think so. A great reversal happening here. So how does this apply to us? God's understanding of the world is very different to our own. Our success is not measured by health, wealth, or happiness, but rather we can find comfort and blessings and a deeper relationship with God through the hard times. Our happiness is not dependent upon things of this world, but on the richness of our relationship with God. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. We started today with a story of the Reverend George Matheson. Michelle is going to hurry up here now and she's going to play that hymn, Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go. The words can be found online or hopefully they'll be on the screen. Feel free to join in or just listen, but let the words wash over you.
Michelle? Five minutes that was written in, no corrections. That's an outpouring to God if I've ever read one or heard one. Corrie ten Boone was a Dutch Christian and watchmaker born in 1892. She helped the Jews escape the Nazi occupation. She was captured. She did go to a prisoner of war camp, Ravensbrook. She survived and became a prolific Christian writer. She had this to say, and for those of you that know me, you'll understand, well, Michelle found it, but I think it's perfectly apt. When a, chain, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. <laughs> Jesus' message is clear. Life will be hard as a Christian. And in those times... God is shaping us. And in these times, we find our greatest blessings. And this is when we learn to reply or rely on God. And not on our own strength and on the world. It's on God. Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. When we give our lives to God, everything we thought we know is reversed. Jesus faced troubles and so do all the people of God. However, as Matheson's hymn beautifully communicates, troubles do not have the last word. Jesus does. Amen. Amen.